And so for a year, I've kind of been preparing this sermon, which might create false expectations that it'll be a good one, because it won't necessarily be any better um, than any of the others. But um, when I thought about it a year ago and said, if, if this really does happen and we're going to get on a plane and do a crazy trip and I get to pick a passage to preach, what is one that might help orient my thoughts in this occasion and be good for all of us? And Psalm 127 is that scripture. And after nine months of thinking about it, I haven't changed my mind. It's still Psalm 127. So if you would open a Bible to Psalm 127, this is on page 518, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you. A song of ascents of Solomon, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he, God, gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This psalm is only one of two that has a note on the psalm as being from Solomon, but it very quickly reflects his writing or one book that is primarily attributed to him and in his voice in the book of Ecclesiastes where the preacher has a sermon in the Old Testament. And it is my favorite book of the Bible. And so to go to the psalm that sort of reflects and uh, shortens a bit, one of my favorite books of the Bible uh, is a gift here in Psalm 127 that three times in the first two verses, he talks about the potential of vanity. Unless the Lord builds it, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches the city, the watchmen watch in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. And that he is, uh, like in the message of Ecclesiastes, acknowledging that in all of our effort and toil and work with whatever responsibilities that have been entrusted to us, we ultimately need God's grace, his blessing, and his favor for any of the work that we do to find its completion and its fruition, to make a lasting impact. We, on our own, are frail. Uh, we have come from dust and we will return to dust. Um, we have this amazing gift called life with all of its opportunity and potential, but all of the opportunity and the potential that it provides for us is dependent upon the God who's given us this life. And so he's saying, apart from the Lord's blessing, it's, it's toil in vain, it's staying up late in vain, it's rising up early in vain if we do not do it with his grace and his mercy and his peace ultimately establishing everything that we do. And so I've intentionally entitled the message not unless the Lord builds the house, that's the refrain of the psalm, but then to put it in the positive when the Lord builds the house. So if, if he's expressing the futility of working and toiling without the Lord, then what is the opposite of that? What is the blessing that is extended to us when we do know that it is the Lord, in fact, who's doing the work, that he is establishing it? 
because that's answered in the psalm in three different ways um, that I'd like to highlight. When it is, in fact, the Lord who is laboring on our behalf, who's blessing the work of our hands, we experience three amazing, humbling realities. One, uh, instead of this experience of vanity, we have every reason for hope. Instead of vanity, we have every reason for hope. And so if without him we build in vain, then with him we can know that all of our building and all of our working will have a purpose. Not only in our time, not only in our life, but for future generations. If without him the watchman watches in vain, then with him the watchman stays up at night for a reason. The good work of guarding a city and protecting it and making sure all of its inhabitants are safe is good work. The good work of building a house, which in in the Old Testament could have several references. You could think of someone physically constructing a house. You could also think of it in terms of family lineage and having children and, and hoping for the best for future generations. For Solomon himself, it meant he got to do what his father was never able to do. David wanted to build a house for God. He wanted to build the temple. And David was told, no, you're not going to be the one who builds the temple. It's going to be your son who does it. And he's going to build this house. And so at a personal level, it can refer to building your own home where you establish your own family. It can refer to the people and the relationships that you have. And it also refers to the work that's done specifically dedicated uh, within the worship of God, building the temple. And we know at the dedication of the temple, when Solomon offered a prayer, he used this language. In, in all of its grandeur and glory, built by all the instruction of God, he then paused and in prayer said, if the heavens of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this house which I have built. And he understood that, that though he had this amazing and unique privilege to be a part of the construction of this temple, it was still not something that could contain God but the maker of the heaven and earth who is above and greater than all things um, can't ever be reduced to our fashion or our size or fit in our little box. But the goodness that we have hope that in building things for him, those things will endure. And so this psalm doesn't end in despair, just like Ecclesiastes doesn't end in despair, though it talks about the vanity of toil without him. It ends in hope and says that every one of us has every reason to believe that what we give our lives to in the Lord and what we offer as an act of worship to him will in fact endure, and it will endure forever. The other thing he says here in the psalm is that rather than the experience of anxiety, we will experience rest. So from vanity to hope, and then from anxiety to rest. In verse 2, it's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. It's one of the good gifts that our Heavenly Father longs to give to all of his children is that there's this reciprocal relationship between the work we do and then the rest we enjoy and how the rest enables our work and how our work enables us to rest. 
And when these things get out of balance, as they most often do for all of us, we're missing out on what God intends to give. And all of the scriptural command to work and to be diligent and to strive and to grow and to mature, he is not calling us to a life where we're working all the time, never making ourselves available to family or friends, never making ourselves available for a casual dinner with a neighbor who you've never met. But we work and we toil and we labor so that we can enjoy the sweetness of the rest that he provides. And we know there's a correlation to not getting enough rest and then not being very productive at work. or not having a very productive attitude and a desire to be with people. I I experienced this uh, very vividly through the life of my three young boys. I mean, I can tell when the attitude switches. Wow, are we at nap time yet? We must be at nap time. We must be past nap time, or it must be past bedtime, because you went from this to that pretty quickly. And more often than not, it's an indication of a lack of sleep. That's still just as true of us as adults. We need rest. We are designed to only function as well as we rest. We can only continue to labor in as much as we prioritize the rhythms and the breaks, the stoppages, the turning off our phones, and the being rejuvenated. And instead of feeling guilty about that, that's what's offered as a gift. He gave us six days to work, and he gave us a Sabbath to rest. And then Sabbath also has to take seasons. And so it's supposed to be built into every day that we sleep a little bit every day. But then it's also good if we take a little bit of a longer break uh, in monthly rhythms. And then it's good for you as people and as families to take a break for a week together. And then when other opportunities allow to take uh, other opportunities that are provided for you in different seasons of life to get the adequate rest that's needed to continue to work. That's the nature of the grant that we applied for. If someone would come to them and uh, they're nearing the end of their labor and they're wanting to retire and they say, well, we'd love to do this so that we can just have a pretty cool experience and then be done, um, those grants aren't funded. The whole nature of it is to provide rest for someone who says, I want to keep doing exactly what I'm doing and I want to do it for the long haul. I want a break that enables me to keep on working. I'm not looking to stop working. And that's the, the nature of it. It's the generosity of it. The gift that it provides for us is to experience that tangibly. It comes not out of exhaustion. Not, it doesn't come out of being overworked. It comes out of this wonderful joy for us as a family. I got a first opportunity to serve part-time at a church 15 years ago and have had sort of a 15 year of an unending Uh, story of getting the unique privilege that it is to work in the context of a local church. It was part-time for the first six years. I was bivocational. And then when two congregations merged together to form Lakeside Christian Church nine years ago, uh, basically nine years ago next month, um, then I've had the the opportunity to do it um, as a full-time job that I absolutely love. It's been a joy and a privilege. And for us as a family to then, so I've gotten married since then, uh, we've had children since then, we've lost loved ones uh, in our lives since then, and to see the gift that the body of Christ is, um, to be a part of a family of brothers and sisters who are there for you and vice versa for all of the challenges and the joys 
that life brings. And then with that desire to see that through for another 15, 20, or 30 years. And it was fun. I was hearing, uh, as the praise team was leading, I was like, I can remember the first Sunday that Bobby led worship. I remember it when it was like, hey, we think, you know, you've been doing it in the youth group where you can do it. You're going to be the lead. And you can almost forget about it now because I can look back and say it just seems natural. I don't see any um, specific, you know, fear or nervousness. Um, and that's just one of many um, among the years that I can look back to and consider it only a, a joy that deepens in being able to track things over a long period of time and getting to see the goodness of that. But then also being able to see how God raises up people um, that weren't here nine years ago when I first started, and that he's always taking care of his people. Uh, Jesus told his disciples, pray, the, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, and so pray to the Lord of the harvest, and I can look back with thankfulness and joy and see how God has continued to answer those prayers of people who step up and say, I'm here and I'll help and this is something I'll do. And as we've said goodbye to people, to say goodbye in a way that blesses them and speaks life over them for all the new adventures that their lives experience. That's been a joy, but what it is meant to provide for us is the ability to rest, to just to say, God's got this. He's always had this and he always will. It's one of those amazing promises that Christ gave to his disciples. He said that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So yeah, take a nap sometimes. <laughs> Enjoy a weekend sometimes. He's got this. He promised that he's doing it and the gates of hell cannot stop it. Then at the end from Vanity to hope and then anxiety to rest. He talks about going from hostility to peace. And here in verses 3 through 5, he talks about the blessing of children. And so that children are a heritage from the Lord. It is a wonderful thing when new life comes into the world. But then he begins to envision not just the blessing of new birth and new life, but when he talks at the end about having those children with him when he's speaking with his enemies in the gate, at this point, it's most likely that he's talking about adult children who at the entrance of any city and at the gate was often where business was handled, where issues of justice were administered. And so if you will, almost when someone's on trial and they're giving an account for something. And so he's saying that there's this blessing that in a future time when you yourself are engaged in some hostility with an enemy, something is being disputed, that there would be people who would come alongside of you and stand with you in those future moments so that you would know that you're at peace. And that's a blessing to basically, to, to raise up another generation who when you now are the one who needs help and the transition has taken place, they used to help you, or you used to do everything for them. You changed their diapers, you fed them, you did everything they needed. But now you're getting older and you need someone to help you and you need them to care for you. The blessing that God gives in the gift of family and community 
that in those moments when there is hostility with an enemy in the gate, you find yourself surrounded by people who say, I'm with you in this moment. I'll care for you. And you can be at peace. It's a beautiful picture. And isn't it what we all long for? None of us wakes up and say, I hope everything I do today is just vain and useless. I hope everything, I just hope I freak out all day and that I just can't stop worrying about everything that's going on. Or I hope I just can't get along with anyone today. No, that isn't what any of us desire. What we long for, whatever we believe, we long for hope and for rest and for peace. It was a joy this week uh, to do a, a last lunch as a staff uh, on Friday before the sabbatical begins, and Matt wasn't able to join us, so Cindy and Brad and I went together uh, to lunch, and then she saw someone um, that she knew who was a cantor, who is someone who basically leads the worship in Jewish synagogues, and so she said, can I invite him to join us for the meal? And I said, absolutely, and so uh, he sat down, and I got to meet him, and so uh, I said his name was Matt, and I said, Matt, this week is one of my, it's a last sermon for a couple of months, and I'm going to Psalm 127. Can you tell me what it means? So I didn't know I'd get to talk Psalms today over lunch. And so he thought about it, and he could recall it pretty quickly. And he said that uh, oftentimes in, in, young, in camps for young kids, they will sing this psalm, but then sort of the responsive psalm, or the answer to it, they will sing as a companion is Psalm 121. So I invite you to go to Psalm 121. As here again, a description of what the Lord is doing when he promises to be the builder and the architect. Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. It's a pretty good companion psalm to Psalm 127. For those of us who believe in Jesus as the Messiah and the answer to our prayers in an amazing way to bring about this hope and this rest and this peace, I invite you as we conclude to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is on page 962. The whole psalm is the apostle, the whole chapter is the apostle Paul talking about the resurrection of Jesus and his victory over the grave. Because we if all of these things were true when Solomon wrote them about the possibility of hope and rest and peace, and then we think about Solomon's own life and the way in which his inability to handle power well and to multiply his wives and multiply his children created all kinds of conflict in the nation, that very shortly after he died, the nation divided. The house was divided against itself. 
And though he could express this longing for all of these realities, that he himself and his own children struggled to receive them, just like we all do. But here we have this hope even more sure, beginning in verse 54 of chapter 15. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you offer us hope and rest and peace. We confess to our own struggles and inadequacies a futility and frustration of the feelings of vanity, our tendency to worry and to doubt and to toil with anxious hearts. We acknowledge that it is at times it seems more often that we're in difficult conversations or resolving conflict or surrounded by hostility. And we thank you that you offer us hope and rest and peace. We thank you that because you labor on our behalf, we know that you guard our going out and our coming back. That you are the one who ultimately keeps our life. And we thank you that in sending your son for us, you have conquered our sin. You have conquered the reality of death and given us the hope and the promise of eternal life. So I want to echo the prayers of Mark and Brad and just say thank you for the gifts that you have given. Thank you for the joys uh, that you have provided. And I pray that you would help uh, our family in a unique way in these 11 weeks, but also every family represented here at Lakeside to experience the goodness of knowing that all of our toil and all of our work and all of our labor in you is not in vain. That we have every reason to move forward in hope and in joy, to make friends of people we've never met, to say sorry for uh, relationships that have gone sour, to step out and do things that we've always thought about doing but have found a million reasons not to try. Father, give us collectively uh, a sense of expectation and anticipation of what you will continue to do through each and every one of us. And I thank you that you give to each and every one of us rest. And so I pray for, uh, for each and every one of us here in the ways that we desperately need it, that you would help us to take the breaks and the pauses that refresh us and recharge us to allow us to continue to enjoy all that you've given us. In your name we pray, amen.